I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 262. Well, Colby and I are still on our kick of cooking at home, and I'm out of recipes. Don't look over here. You know I don't know any. Well, Creep Mom thankfully created a feed in the Facebook group for us. So if you have any recipes, you know, do your search on there and tell me in the Facebook group. Demanding. Please, an easy shit, because I'm dumb. <laughs> I do have an Instapot and an air fryer because I got it as a wedding gift. Thank you to my coworkers. They're the best. And, you know, an oven. <laughs> okay, and a microwave. Yeah, crock pot, of course, but... <laughs> Of course. Of course. This obviously. <laughs> so I'm open. Okay. You know, to recipes, Donna. Mm. Although Donna hasn't been very thirsty lately. I'm trying to be thirsty for her. I'm like messaging Karen in the group and was like zooming in on this boy on her profile picture. I'm like, <laughs> who is this and why have you been holding out for Donna? And she's like, that's my brother and he's married. <laughs> but maybe I'm not thirsty because I did get a little taste. Gross. <laughs> just saying i had my carbs and tinder has helped me find the cock i guess gross i will say at a first though we christened the kitchen island i know you and colby have Mm -hmm. yours i've never done mine welcome i don't don't know what to say that congratulations five out of five recommend i don't know out of ten recommend (laughs) well colby and i broke the bed this weekend (laughs) damn it you always have to one-up me On the scale, maybe. <laughs> That's why I broke the bed. Oh, God. <laughs> it was fixable. It just, like, fell through the slats. It's fine. Didn't ruin y'all's moment at all. I mean, it did for a minute. It was pretty funny. I was dying laughing. <laughs> That's a good kind of sex, though, when you can laugh and stuff, mm-hmm. but then get right back into it. Yes. You got to do that with a regular, though. That, that's not like one of your, your dick appointments. Like, you got to, like, the laughing sex is, like, with a regular. Oh, is it? Oh, God. You're you're just, You. Yeah, I definitely laughed during this last hookup. It's, I don't know, that's just who we are. Gross. Okay, I'm over this <laughs> conversation. But it grosses me out for some reason. Not like, not grosses me out. That's not, I think it's just because, I don't know, sometimes I'd, I'm like, you can't be sexual. <laughs> you know, it's like when your mom, like, you know, oh, you're. No, you're, I don't, true. because my mom was uh, the one who taught us about anal beads, so. Touche. <laughs> That's why we're different. You're not wrong. Because Colby's probably like, why'd you tell him about the bed? <laughs> How'd we get here? Oh, food, carbs. Yep, carbs and cocks and yeah. Well, these are a few of my favorite things. And also, Patreoners! So, thank you so much. Rebecca C. from South Carolina. Jackie B. from Indiana. Michaela B. from Indiana. Are y'all friends? Ooh, Sierra M. from Texas. And Ann S. from, we don't know. So if you want your stickers and your thank you letter, you got to tell us where you're from. But if anybody else wants those stickers and that thank you letter and all the extra episodes a week these Patreoners are getting, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. You know, okay, so going back to Tinder for a moment, not being sexual, Carrie. I didn't say anything. Uh Uh-huh, your eyes said it all. But, um, you know... When we were younger, we were, like, ashamed of being so loud with our Mm -hmm. laughs and stuff. But then now with the podcast, y'all are like, oh, my God, I love your laughs. But so many guys have been like, no, I love your laugh. And I'm like, really? Like, I'm not too much? Again, if I'm too much, go find less. Yeah, 100%. But it's just like, wow, something that we were always... Very insecure about. Yes. Absolutely. I'm like, God. 
okay, things do change with age and stuff. You know, like, I don't know. Maybe we just embarrass those people so much. Yeah, because they were fuckers. Yeah. We've only embarrassed Colby once. (laughs) (laughs) And that was on the way back from the podcast festival last year. Yep. (laughs) We stopped at IHOP. At IHOP. And (laughs) we just were lit. Yes. Like, we were just lit. And my tickle box was turned in maximum overdrive. Then she got in the car and passed right out. But yes, Colby said, that's not how you behave at an IHOP. And that <laughs> got me so fucking tickled. <laughs> like I couldn't breathe. <laughs> but I think Carrie couldn't say her order right. Oh, or my something. God. What did I say? I don't know, oh, but I was like, um, like I want, I want like an omelet with scram, like with scrambled eggs. It's like something, it's something ridiculous. <laughs> oh God, that was so funny. And Colby was just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and that just made me even more, cause he's not like that. Yes. It was just early and all the things. And there weren't a lot of people in there, but there are enough people that there was an audience, you know? This Leo bitch over here loves a fucking audience. <laughs> oh, did I tell y'all last week that Colby and I watched Luther? No, you didn't. But it was good. The movie. Yeah, the movie. Yeah, they said that and I was like, the series? And they're like, no, the movie. I'm like, no, it's a series. We were talking about the same thing, but different. Literally, mine and Donna's friendship <laughs> summed up in one sentence. 100%. <laughs> 100%. But it was really good. Y'all should check it out. It was on Netflix. So next month, Colby is playing in this golf tournament. It's the Keith Melanson Memorial Golf Tournament. Dr. Melanson was is a doctor that I worked with and worked with his sister, Julie Falla. Anyway, so it's this golf tournament to raise money for a scholarship in his name. Since we worked with him, the people at my work try to make a team. So Colby's playing with one of my coworkers and two of my coworkers' husbands. So they went and just played like a little practice round after work. They just played like nine holes real quick. Of course, as soon as Colby got home, I'm like, tell me everything. Who rode in the carts with whom? Like, how'd you hit? How'd so-and-so hit? How, like, how did everybody do? Who did the best? Who did, you know? Yeah, you want the play-by-play. Literally tell me everything, right? So in their little group text, one of the husbands was like, are y'all getting bombarded with questions like I am? <laughs> <laughs> And Chloe was like, yes. She was like, love you. Tell me everything. Yes. <laughs> and then the other co-worker's husband was like, yes. Like, she, basically, she hadn't stopped asking me questions. But my actual co-worker, whose wife doesn't work with us, he was like, she hasn't asked me anything. <laughs> He's like, she doesn't care. But I'm like, it's because she's not the co-worker, you know? Yeah. Because today at work, I was like, so how'd it go? Tell, you know? Yeah. Tell me everything. Also, some people just don't care about, like, the play-by-play like we do. Yes. Well, and then, like, you know, I'm a big girl. Colby a big guy. I'm like, okay, so who rode in the cart with you? Because that would be, like, a thing that would make me nervous uh-huh. would be, okay, well, if it's, like, you got to put somebody small with me in the cart so we fit so we don't touch weird, you know? <laughs> so we don't touch weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like a plane. I don't want to take my half out of the middle, so I got to make myself smaller in the plane seat, mm-hmm. you know, because I fly so often. <laughs> Well, you don't make yourself smaller around me. Yeah, because I like to be on top of you. Yeah, you like to lean all over me. Yeah, that's different than somebody (laughs) I barely know. Or a stranger on an airplane. True. And I mean, this isn't Southwest. You can't get two seats for one in a freaking (laughs) golf cart. I don't know why, but I just pictured they had a four-person golf cart. No. Where would you put your golf bags? You know what? Because I don't play golf. Oh, okay. Sing songy that again. Go. Go. 
<laughs> Golly, Gary, I don't play golf. <laughs> I want to so bad play golf because I like want to be good at it. I'll never be, even if I decide to play. One, I'm a lefty, so I can't just be like, let me borrow these clubs. And two, I have big boobs, so it's fucking hard to hit the ball with big boobs. Because they get in the way. You're supposed to keep your arms straight across your chest. Mm. Well, my boobs get in the way. So last night I was looking online. You had to put... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So you had to put your arms on top of your boobs like this. I know y'all can't see me, but she can. And it's like the most awkward thing ever. That's awkward as fuck, right? Yeah. I want them to go beside. Like I'm trying to squeeze them together like lemons. Yeah, you want to make them look better. Yeah. Squeeze a cleavage, not smush them like a sports bra. (laughs) I'm trying to get some in the woods. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Have y'all done anything on a golf course? Uh Uh-uh. Oh. No, girl, we usually go in the morning. I'm trying to drink my coffee and play my Candy Crush. (laughs) (laughs) Carrie's birthday is coming up, and I'm like, what do you want to do? I don't know. Nothing. Me, my birthday is not coming up, and I'm like, this is what I want to do. I already have things planned. What the hell? Color me surprised. (laughs) It has animals involved too. Imagine that. But seriously, what do you want to do? All I want right now is a facial. I'm tired. Well, Colby can give that to you any night. No, I'm not that kind of good kind. Both are good. What I want for my birthday, you can't give me. What's that? Debt free. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. I need debt free too. <laughs> Taxes are a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. I mean, let's just, you know, have more debt. Come on. Let's talk about fun stuff. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but one time for your birthday, we did like pictures of like carbs and cocks or something for you. I don't know if you remember this, but I had a dill pickle chip bag and I put my different vibrators in it. Like you sent me pictures of it? We put it on Facebook. I don't remember that. Really made an impact. That's funny because I was thinking about the first year we had birthdays and you got everybody to make those messages. Yeah. And I was like, how the fuck am I supposed to top that? You we don't have up, to top it. Yes, I do. We ended up having to put a stop to this birthday special shit. I know. I can't, that stresses me out. <laughs> I'm a last minute type of gal. Yes, you are. And you can't be last minute when you're trying to get people to do shit for you. <laughs> But I tell you one thing I'm not going to be last minute on. Okay, actually I am. But signing up for BetterHelp. Because this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. But seriously, you shouldn't wait to the last minute for your mental health. Because it sneaks up on you. It does. Because all of a sudden you've got some brain fog and you're exhausted and you're in a foul mood and you can't figure out why. Mostly because getting to know yourself is a lifelong process. Because we are always changing. Hopefully for the better. And BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can help you through your journey of self-discovery or just trying to figure out life in general. Because sometimes you need a third party uh, with no particular interest in the matter. That's right. I mean, times are changing. Like, actually, the time changed. But, like, spring is coming. And so when we have been in winter and all this and you're like, oh, it's the weather that's making me feel this way but then when it's spring and you're still feeling that way it does something to you too and I'm like oh my god no I actually need to talk to someone about this because I shouldn't still be feeling so glum yes like the trees are getting blooms everything's coming back to life and I'm like meh 
Let me just stay inside. Yeah. It's time, girl. So seriously, if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire that helps you get matched with a licensed therapist. And one thing that I appreciate so much about BetterHelp is that let's just say that you're not jiving with that therapist. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. And a lot of places won't let you do that. So that's really big for me because that is one thing that holds me back from starting therapy is I'm so scared that what if I don't have that connection with them or they don't get me or whatever. Well, with BetterHelp, you can switch at any time. And because it's online, you're not having to take off of work for long periods of time, go to a doctor's office, wait on your turn, be seen, then go back to work, clock back in, all of that. It's all online and super flexible to help match your schedule. So yeah, maybe it will be in the middle of a work day, but maybe you miss 45 minutes instead of two hours. Yeah. Or I mean, I've been there where I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to put on a bra. It's where you don't feel like that's possible, well, with BetterHelp, you don't have to do any of those things because it's online. So that breaks down that barrier right there. So whether you're wanting to find yourself, learn some coping mechanisms, or learn how to set boundaries, or anything in between, BetterHelp is for you. So go to betterhelp.com APC to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash A-P-C for 10% off your first month. It's time to put yourself first. Go to betterhelp.com slash A-P-C. Okay, so I'm kind of shaking things up a little bit, and I hope y'all enjoy this story. It's actually from the Let's Not Meet Reddit thread over three years ago. But I'm not just reading the story to you like we would if we were doing like a creepypasta. I'm putting Madonna spin on it. While I was reading it, it made my stomach hurt from anxiety. So I hope it does the same for y'all, but you know, like in a good way. So there was this college freshman. He had just finished his first year of university and returned home for summer break. So let me just say, this takes place across the pond. I knew it when you <laughs> said he went to university. I yes. Was like, Ooh, they're British. Mm-hmm. So his family, it's not British, but it is over across the pond, and it's a small countryside in a town in France. Oh. It was pretty remote, and growing up, he loved being outdoors with his family, especially his dad. They would explore the woods that surrounded their property, and their special place was this lake. It was a man-made lake in the thick of the woods, and that's just where they would spend a lot of time. Well, when he was home that summer, he was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to my happy place. So he went down the path a little bit. And then there's this little grassy path that led to the river via following along a stream through the woods. What's the thing to grandmother's house? I was going to say that over the (laughs) river and through the woods. (laughs) Yes. This boy loved the walk because it was calming. It was a pretty long trek, but he could just clear his head while he was out there. And even though they were in a remote area, he was never afraid of the woods because him and his dad had spent so much time there. It was almost like their private oasis because not a lot of people went there. It was mainly just their family. And he didn't always follow that path because he liked being in the thick of the woods. He liked his alone time. 
So sometimes he would veer off the path, but after a few turns here or there, he'd be back on direction to the stream, which flowed to the river and then to that lake. However nature works, I'm not sure. Anyway, he knew it was easy to get lost in these woods because it wasn't a straight shot anywhere. The trees were so dense, the terrain went up and down like a wavelength at times. Anyways, I had to set the scene, you know, dense forest, he wanted to zen out in nature, and he knew the area like the back of his hand. So the first walk he went on that summer, he reached the stream about an hour later. He was there, you know, dipping his hand in the water, letting the ripples mesmerize him, all the things outdoorsy people love. But that's when he heard something he had never heard before. It was a faint sound of a bell ringing. He knew it was far away, but it wasn't showing any signs of stopping. He said at first it was very faint and just like one ding, ding, but then it got more sporadic with the ringing. It would be a little bit more chaotic. He assumed it might be like a lost dog, like a hunting dog or something. He was just trying to, you know, you hear a bell in the middle of a forest. What are you going to think? Well, He went towards the sound. And look, he's the first to tell you, yeah, I wouldn't last in a horror movie because um, I followed the sound. So if it was a trap, he was going to get caught. But he went north toward the sound. And that's when he was like, yeah, hmm, this can't be a small little bell on a collar or something. It's too loud for that. And it's just too chaotic. The closer he went, the bell seemed to move away from him. And about five minutes of searching for the sound's origin, the ringing stopped. He could not make heads or tails about it, so he just retreated, made the walk back to the clearing, and headed home. But before he was safe and sound and out of the woods, he came across something that just seemed odd to him. Like literally out of the woods and figuratively (laughs) out of the woods? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, he found a badger on the ground. It was dead, but the body had been decapitated. What? Yeah, and it wasn't just like an animal had killed it and then the body had been scavenged or anything like that. No, this looked like a precise sharp cut. Something, or rather someone, had done this with a knife. It's the woods, so is that that bizarre that something would be scavenged in the woods? Not not even, like, cut with a knife? Like, it could have, like, come after him or whatever. Right. But I think the thing was with this is that it looked so clean. So it was more like it wasn't something in the heat of the moment. It was deliberate. But, again, yeah, he was just like, oh, okay, this is kind of weird, but nothing too bad. And he even remarked about how it really didn't stink. So he had deduced that it hadn't been dead that long. Now, I will say he noted that there were maggots on the carcass, or it's not a carcass, but the body. I don't know. I was being fancy, apparently. But he said he knew that happened quicker than one might think. And I'm like, I'm that one because I thought maggots took a longer time to do. So I don't know if he's right or I'm right. I don't know. Anyway, so he was like, huh. Well, the bell was basically following the stream. I was following the stream, and now I found this decapitated badger body. Like, it had to be killed after I had come through. So, who else is in the woods? You know, was this what the bell was about? Was it something with this? He had so many questions, no answers, and he retreated home. 
A week later, he had already pushed that weird incident out of his mind, and he was bored, so the woods and lake seemed like the thing that would get him out of his funk. However, this second trek back to the river would ultimately be his last. He left home later than normal. It was around 6 p.m. So he was like, okay, the sun is going to set at 9 p.m. And look, times are different. I was like, <laughs> I don't sets know. At 9 Maybe it's because it's across the pond. Like, I have no idea. I was like, that seems weird. But again, I'm not an outdoorsy person. I'm like dead of summer here. Sunset sets at the latest at like 730, right? Yeah, that's what I thought too. Okay. This is what he said. Maybe three years ago, it was different. <laughs> it's global warming. <laughs> It probably really is something with like where they are on the earth, though. Yeah, who knows? But he was like, you know what? I have time for a quick walk just to, again, get out of my funk. About an hour later, he had made it to the stream and then to the river. But he was like, yeah, I need to go. It started to rain and he knew it was going to get dark soon. And even though he knew the woods so well, those two things would definitely impede his navigation skills. And also, I felt very Eagle Scout typing that out. I was like, I don't know if this even makes sense, but I'm typing it out. It sounds good. Well, he wasn't running because, yeah, it was sprinkling and stuff, but he was just, you know, like just kind of briskly walking. He said he can still hear how loud the rain in the trees was and how it just echoed all around him because it picked up, you know, just like when you're out somewhere and you're like, oh, it's just a light rain. And then it's like the bottom drops Mm -hmm. out. So he picked up his speed a little more and he had his head down, you know, just trying to make it back home as quickly as he could. And that's when he ran into something. Before he could even comprehend what he ran into, the smell smacked him upside the head. It made him dry heave. And that's when his eyes fell onto what was causing the odor. It was the body of that badger that had been decapitated. It was hanging up. But what's more disturbing than that? The missing head was attached to its front paws. What? It was strung together, so it was like it was holding its head. He said it's sick to describe it this way, but it looked kind of like a ham because of the string. You know how they'll do like in the butcher shop and stuff? But he said that the smell was beyond awful, and where his head had made contact with the body, because he ran into it, there was some sticky mucus texture, like residue that was present. And he said when he felt this, combined with the stench and the rain, he was just discombobulated. He didn't know what was going on. He was trying to calm himself, and he finally started to, you know, just try to woosaw it out of him. But then his body went cold as ice. He had walked that way to get to the river. This was not there before. So someone had to put this up after he walked by. He couldn't understand how this happened. He knew he would have noticed if someone else was in the woods. And besides that, no one really went to these woods. That's why he loved it so much. But now everything was just wrong. He said, that he started thinking, oh, maybe the breaking of the branches and the crunching of the leaves weren't just animals living their best life. Maybe it was something more sinister, like someone watching him or waiting for him. He shuddered at the thought of what could happen, and so he put one foot in front of the other, forcing himself to start jogging towards home. He said that he didn't want to go on a full-out sprint because if someone was there, he didn't want to let them know just how terrified he was. But he did begin running when he heard that familiar sound, the sound of the ringing bell. 
He was completely sure he was not alone at this point and that this bell was something far more dangerous than he could ever imagine. And not really the bell being dangerous, but who or what was using the bell. He got out his phone, rain be damned, and called his dad as he ran. He told his dad, meet me on the path where it turns sharply west, because that was the part that was closest to him right then. And he was telling his dad, hey, I need you ASAP. I think someone's here with me. Now, his father's like, obviously, what? You know, what are you talking about? But he knew at the sound of his voice that, no, this is real terror. Mm -hmm. Like, let's go. So the mom and dad got in their car and drove to the path and they were getting out to go to the woods. So at this point, the boy is full on sprinting, but the sound was so deafening. He said he couldn't hear anything else besides that faint bell. And the ringing had again turned manic at times. And even though he knew these woods like the back of his hand, he felt lost. He said he was gasping for breath as his legs carried him on autopilot. He didn't even know what he was doing, just running, just trying to get away from that ringing bell. And this point was straight out of a scary movie. He was, you know, running frantically through the woods, still on the phone with his parents and just like tripping over shit, you know, like a stupid twig and rock and all the things. And it's like, oh my God, get out of here, nature. So he would have to like catch himself on a nearby tree before falling down. And, you know, it was just overload for him. So how I typically walk, but, you know, somebody that's outdoorsy, not so normal for them. Exactly. And at this point, he was just consumed with anxiety and fear. He said the rain was coming down so hard now and his breathing was so labored that he had to stop and try to catch his breath, even if it was just for a quick moment. So his mom was on the phone with him because his dad's, you know, driving and they were just like trying to get there. And his mom was as panicked as he was, you know, screaming updates to him. We're here. We're on the path. We're coming. We're coming. You know, all the things. But between his mom's play by play, his heavy breathing, the rain falling down, he could still hear that bell ringing and ringing and ringing. And he could hear branches break behind him. But then he heard footsteps. This was the first time he heard any footsteps other than his own in this forest. This startled him so much, but he didn't slow his pace. He continued through the dense forest, but then he stole a glance over his shoulder just to see what was making those footsteps. Not supposed to do that. Yeah, and that's when he saw a tall figure moving toward him. He said he was, you know, just creepy and tall Because, duh, there's a bell in his hand. And he said it was by his stomach. And it's like the bell that has a stem and the bell ring around it. Mm -hmm. Like you would, I don't know, like call for help. Or is that what the stock market uses? (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) But you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Do you know what you're talking about? (laughs) No. He was holding that, this creepy figure. And with every step that the creepy figure took, the bell would ring. The guy tried to pick up pace, but he was losing his momentum at this point. He looked back again, and he couldn't really see the figure's eyes through all the rain and stuff, but he said he knew. He just knew that he was staring straight at him. The boy mustered up every ounce of courage and agility he had, and he bolted forward, hopefully towards his dad. He said he could hear the bell ringing, and with each frantic ding, he knew that the figure was taking a step closer and closer toward him. 
step, ring, step, ring. So he just wanted to let whoever that was know he was getting help. So he lied a bit and he yelled out, I'm on the phone with the police. They're here on the path. And then a moment later he shouted, yes, dad, I can see you. I'm here. And he screamed it out like he was so sure of himself, even though he was dying inside, wishing he knew his dad was close. Please let him be close. Please let him hear my voice. And through all of this, he had dropped his pack that he carried with him. He didn't care. He just wanted safety. He wanted his parents. He wanted to be away from that figure with the bell. His legs were still moving by themselves, and all he could hear was the rain, the crunching of leaves underfoot, his heartbeat in his ears, and that ringing of that bell. This boy felt like he was going to die in the woods. The man with the bell was going to catch him because he could just feel his body starting to want to give out. But just then, something broke through all the noise. It was his dad. He was yelling for his son, and he was so close. The son did not stop running until he basically ran into his father because he lunged toward him. The boy said he would have thought his imagination was in overdrive. You know, maybe he had just made this all up. It was just a weird coincidence. He had been in a funk before, you know, all this. But both of his parents heard the ringing of the bell too while he was on the phone with them, but not anymore. They luckily made it back to the car where the mother was waiting. They sped off safely towards their house. And this was the last time the boy or his family ever went into that forest again. And he said in his mind, he can still hear the ringing bell. It's continuing to haunt his memory, but hopefully never to catch up to him. So to the man in the forest who kills animals and chased after me while ringing a bell in the dark, let's not meet. What do you think it was? I don't know. Some old man that was like, get off my lawn. (laughs) I would say it's something like sinister, like ghostly. But then with the killing of the animal and then like stringing it up like the Blair Witch Project kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, no, that sounds like sinister, like a human. Yeah, I think it was just somebody trying to scare him. Yeah, because they might have been doing something illegal or whatever. Who knows? And they were like, oh, let's just put this up and you know, make sure that they don't see what we're yes. doing. Scare this kid so he doesn't come back. I don't know. But, you know, I do not like, like, a faint noise like that. Yeah. Like, whistling or ringing of a bell or anything like that. Oh, my gosh. Because I can't really tell where it's coming from. Just that it's getting closer and closer and closer. But, like, him running through the woods, hearing it getting closer, you know, like, hearing the footsteps, the rain beating down on him, him tripping up, like... My anxiety was through the roof. Yes. I mean, obviously, I knew he made it out because it's let's not meet, but I don't like it. But I really do feel like it was somebody being territorial or just trying to scare him, period. Yeah. Or, like you said, doing some shady shit, ergo being territorial because Mm -hmm. they don't want him to know, like, what they were doing. Right. Because he's been gone to school this whole time. Right. So if no one else was in those woods, they were like, ooh, Perfect. And then here comes this kid. But you know, that story kind of made me think about that one I had covered about the stairs in the woods that lead to nowhere. Yeah. This is why I just don't want to go out into the woods outside, period. I don't even want to be on a patio if it's not freaking screened in, okay? Uh, You know, I feel that. (laughs) Mosquitoes are, are rough. They are. 
Like, yeah, if I'm outside, I'm in Carrie's pool. And even then, if there's a bee or anything, it, we look like we're doing whack-a-mole because we're all just like going under so fast. <laughs> well, because you can't kill a bee. They're like almost extinct. You yeah. gotta let that motherfucker go. But like, <laughs> can you go away from me? Yes. Now, a wasp, they're on their own. <laughs> How old did you say he was? Like he was college? Yeah, he was a freshman in college. Like okay. he had just finished his freshman year. Well, because then you said boy a couple of times and I was like, I thought in college you know me i don't do ages yeah you're like come here you young boy <laughs> oh my god never have i said that <laughs> but that was i mean who, no. boy i'm legit thinking he's 10 and oh. I'm, like, I'm pretty sure she said he was in college you know i remember walking across usm when i was a freshman and being like i go here mm-hmm. i go to college here i remember listening to that song from the lizzie mcguire soundtrack that you made me and just that one song on it and now, if I hear it, it makes my stomach hurt from the anxiety. Oh, gosh, yeah. I had a really terrible... She wasn't terrible. She just was into what she was into. And I think she wanted more people in her class. Uh, but she was my academic advisor. But she was also, like, on the board of the history department, which is what my major was. And she was um, a medieval Christianity professor. And we were, like, going over what I wanted to take and, you know, whatever. And she was like, oh, yeah, this class, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, like, sure. Um, It was a senior level class, and I was a freshman. And I was, I had just turned 18 when I started college. Yeah, I had just turned 18. Like a week or two ahead. Yeah. And I came in there, and I really was, like, the L Woods of that fucking because they were all seniors. They're all just like, let's just get this shit over with. And I'm like, have my fresh notebook. I have pens. I have highlighters. I still don't understand why she would have put you in that class. I'm telling you, she just wanted more people in that damn class. True. But like, who do you complain to when she's like your, your academic advisor. advisor? She's on the board. She's all like, huh. I know that was my thing in grad school. It's like, okay, you have these checks and balances in place for classes. So if you have an issue with a professor or whatever, you're supposed to be able to go to your advisor. But when your advisor is one of those teachers, it's hard. Like you have no recourse. I'm glad I had her because one time, like seriously, I was just one of those people who in high school, I really didn't have to work hard. And then I got to college and I mean, I still didn't work hard, but I should have. But I remember getting my first paper back from her. And, like, I could write a paper. You know what I mean? Like, I was I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. Um, and it had, like, come see me. And I was like, oh, fuck. What the fuck? You know? And she was like, uh, do you know what plagiarism is? And I was like, oh, what? Like, yeah, I know what that is. I didn't do that. But she's like, okay, so it's not just reiterating it into your own words. You have to give the sources and stuff. And I was like, oh, Because in high school, that's what we did. Yeah. And like, I'm so glad I had her that first semester. So I'd never made that mistake again. And she, she was like, this girl is fucking, what do they call it? Wet behind the ears still like. Yeah. Like you literally could have like gotten kicked out of university. Yeah. Yeah. And like had no idea, you know, I'm like, thanks high school. Thanks. Also had different color printer paper. And in my English, like 101 class. Um, we had to do like rough drafts and people like we had to get in a group of four and like give it to people and they had to like correct it or whatever. And I had a color for each person and the professor, he was, you know, like a teacher, what do you call it? A student teacher kind of thing. What a do you grad, he was a grad student. Yeah, that. <laughs> wow. Um, he was like, Donna, can you just do it on white paper next time? I also made his life a living hell. 
<laughs> you did. And then we took him together the next semester for <laughs> yes. English 102. Yes. <laughs> He's like, oh, fuck. Like pretty much <laughs> verbatim what he said when Donna walked in the room. <laughs> And then it was both of us. Yes, I like, know what he was getting into. <laughs> he also worked at, uh, it wasn't GameStop, but it was in the mall. And you could, like, EB Electronics or something, that's where he worked. Oh, God, I would go in there, too, be like, what up? <laughs> God, you know he was like, Didn't, or he had a crush on you. <laughs> oh, no. Wait, is he single? <laughs> you could, like. <laughs> What's up? I'm pretty sure he has a voodoo doll with my face on it. That's probably what the fuck is wrong with us. No, I know. <laughs> okay, so my story this week is a recommendation from Cassie R. Okay, picture it. Cleveland, Ohio. We meet Reginald and Beverly. They meet in school and fall in love. Reginald was a really good boyfriend. He was loving and kind and really made Beverly feel things that no other man has ever made her feel. Well, Beverly ended up getting pregnant. So they decided that it was probably the best idea if they got married. So they did. And they were both so excited to become parents. So it wasn't like this, oh, no, we got to get married. You know, like they wanted this. They wanted to get married. They wanted to have this baby and they were super excited. Their first baby was Reginald Jr. And then it wasn't long after that that they had their second child, Vaughn. And things were still going pretty well. I mean, things changed after they got married, but it wasn't bad. They just weren't as great as they were when they were just dating. Well, now you have responsibilities and stuff like that. That, ugh. Well, and Reggie started, I don't actually know if he went by Reggie, but like sometimes it just comes out, I can't help it. So Reginald, he started changing some. He was not really wanting to be around people anymore. So there was this one instance that really stands out. Beverly's at home one day and her mom calls and is like, your favorite uncle's in town. He hasn't seen you in years. He really wants to see you. Well, Beverly's like, well, come on over. Come on over. Come on over, baby. Oh, my God. I was so going to say it. We're not doing anything today. Like, we're just hanging out at the house. Absolutely come over. She hangs up the phone, and Reginald's like, who's that? What? And she tells him, and he's like, no. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no. They're not coming over. And she's like, they're literally on the way. And this is like late 60s, 70s. Like, this is not like a, let me text you. Let me call you. Like, they're on the way. And Reginald's like, I don't give a fuck. I don't want anybody coming into this house. And she's like, it's my mother. And he's like, I don't care. I don't care. Nobody, no, they're not coming over here. When they get here, you better not answer the door. What? And she's like, they're like on their way. Like, how can I emphasize this more to you? They are on their way. I haven't seen my uncle in so long, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, you can't answer the door. So the mom and the uncle get to their house and they're like, Banging up, you know. Well, that was not a bang. <laughs> they're like knocking on the door, ringing the doorbell, and Beverly never answers the door because Reginald won't let her. And you know that she's got to be like, please let me answer the door. Please let me just answer. It's my mom. Like, like I can't wrap my brain around why he just wouldn't let her open the door and talk to him on the porch. Yeah, or, go outside. Yeah, yeah, or just be like, hey, sorry, actually, Reginald's not feeling really well right now. I'm sorry, y'all came all over here, but like. I don't want y'all to get it sick. Sorry, you got to go. Like right. something, not just your mother banging on the door. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there, there wasn't any physical abuse, but it 
felt like something had to be going on that maybe we don't get. Because if, if, if that happened with me and Colby, which it wouldn't because Colby would never be like, your mom's on the way, you can't enter the door. But I would be like, fuck right the fuck off. Mm-hmm. That's my mother. I'm answering the door. Right. You don't want her in the house? Cool, cool. I'll go outside and talk to her. Exactly. And if you really have a problem, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to blame Beverly for anything, but that's why I'm saying that there had to have been some things leading up to this yeah, that led conditioned. her right that led her to fear going against him yeah so she never answers the door and then they just leave if i was going over to your house i had just talked to you and i knew you were there i see vehicles out front you see lights on inside all of that and then you don't answer the door i'm calling for a welfare check yeah well we definitely know that you will go around the house looking through the windows <laughs> yeah I, I will and i'll be topless on the phone <laughs> I will find you. <laughs> you definitely did. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> As I'm like walking like the Grinch scaling yes. the backyard trying to get, <laughs> trying to scare you. Uh, you succeeded. <laughs> but yeah, that would not make me be like, oh, well, let's just leave. Fuck that. I will be breaking down that door. Because it could be something as simple as like a gas leak. Mm-hmm. But again, were there weird things happening that this yeah. is just the first thing that we're hearing about? Like, were there other weird things, like you said, that were conditioning not only her, but her family to be like, well, this is well, Reginald's at it again, you know? But after that, Beverly was like, fuck this. Ain't nobody coming over anymore. If we want to see people, we're going. And they would. She and the kids would go visit family members and, and whatnot. Reginald would always just come up with an excuse to stay home. I do feel that, though. Right. And there's there's nothing wrong with being a homebody, but it's... It, it starts taking a turn. Oh, for sure. It wasn't long after this, though, that they had their third and final son, Nearchos. So after Nearchos was born, Reginald was pulling away more and becoming more and more isolated. It got to the point where he wouldn't even leave the house. Like if Beverly had to run errands, he stopped even going with her to run errands and just stayed home. But even more to that, he even stopped going outside with the family like before this he would go outside with the kids and play and that kind of thing and then it got to where he wouldn't even do that but I feel like what was there for Beverly to do like she's just trying to hold her family together she's got three kids she's just trying to do the best by the kids and her husband and so she just continues to live the life outside of the house that she had taking the kids places etc but she can't force Reginald to leave Around this time, with basically the all he's doing is staying inside and watching TV. Now, he was going to work, though. But he started being more paranoid. There was this one particular time where Beverly had made dinner for the family. And after he ate, his stomach started hurting. Reginald tells Beverly he doesn't feel good. And he's like, you poisoned me. Good night. I, your, your response is because you have no idea where the story is no, going. No, I don't know. But also, I'm like, God, is he my dad? How my dad would always be like, <laughs> what are these pills? Yeah, what are these pills? Uh, your freaking pills that you take every day? <laughs> like, he really would like take them out and be like, okay, I recognize this. Why is this pill different? And you're yeah. like, because they upped your dose yeah. or whatever. You know, they're <laughs> yeah. like, do you want to see the bottle? Oh, my God. So that's why I was like, Ugh. Beverly's like, I did not poison you. He's like, well, my stomach hurts. And she's like, you ate the same food as the kids. Like, even if I wanted to hurt you, I would not hurt the kids. And you ate the same thing and they're fine. And he's like, but you didn't eat. Why didn't you eat? And she's like, hello, because I'm a mom and I'm trying to feed you and our three kids and cook the dinner and clean the kitchen and all that. And I just haven't sat down. And he's like, no, like my stomach really hurts. You've poisoned me. And so he forces her to eat what she fed him 
to prove if he was or was not poisoned. Oh, fuck. Well, he wasn't because she did not fucking poison him. He continued to be like, my stomach really hurts my stomach. And she's like, wait, you actually do look pretty bad. I'm taking you to the emergency room. She took him to the emergency room and it turned out he had appendicitis. Oh, gosh. And like, basically, had she not taken him then... He probably would have died. Wow. You can see where this paranoia is really starting to build. Yeah. Because my stomach hurts. I think, well, I've probably ate raw chicken. I don't know. Like, I automatically assume it's food poisoning. Yeah. Not Colby poisoned me. Yeah. Like, that's not my go-to. So, you can really start to see some mental health issues occurring. Yeah. Now, this paranoia about the poisoning spilled over from the house to his work environment. Reginald started thinking that his co-workers were poisoning him as well. And eventually it got to the point where the paranoia was too much and he quit his job. So now you've got Beverly basically being a single mom at this point because Reginald is not going anywhere. He's not, you know, he does help a little bit with the homework and stuff, but he's not doing anything around the house and she's working to support them all financially. So she's really carrying the physical and mental load of this house. Yeah. Now, the kids were allowed to have friends over, which I thought was weird. I don't know if, like, in that moment with her mom and the cousin coming, or uncle coming over, that he was maybe just not in a good spot. Mm -hmm. And so, he flipped, and then she was like, we're just not doing this again. Mm -hmm. Or if maybe he just was like, okay, kids are different. I don't know. yeah. But, like, at this point, too, though, there was, because there was a bit of an age difference between the two older boys and the youngest. The two oldest boys were about two years apart, and think, like, teenage preteen and then um Nearcos was six years younger than them you know so I don't know if it's because it was just kids but anyway when the kids friends would come over though he would continue this like paranoid slash like reclusiveness that he had he wouldn't stay in the same room with them but he would like so like let's say they're like in the living room playing a game but he would go into his bedroom and just like crack the door and sit there and watch them that's fucking weird Yeah, it is. And so the kids would be like, Mom, like, Dad's doing this shit again. Like, well, they wouldn't say shit. But, you know, like, they would scare their friends. Yeah. I'm thinking Pennywise looking shit. Right. So this next thing was an example of, like, some of his weird behavior that I honestly didn't find that bizarre. But you tell me what you think. Maybe it's just me. So picture it. It's, like, late 70s, early 80s. And you know how the TV worked back then when cable went off it went off it didn't there was nothing that was 24 hours right so when late night show went off it went to snow so when reginald and beverly would go to bed he would be up watching the tv and she would go to bed sorry do you remember like when it would go off it had like a little sequence that would happen Uh uh-uh and then it would go off i don't remember that i'm pretty sure it did so reginald and beverly would be sleeping in the same bed and when she would go to bed she'd be like trying to go to sleep because he's sitting in there watching tv and she's like i can just imagine I don't know that this is actually how it happened, but I can just imagine just the burning anger in her about he's just sitting up in the bed watching TV and she's trying to go to sleep. So she can go to work to literally support him and their kids and keep a roof over their head. And she's trying to go to sleep in the fucking TV zone. Yeah. Now, me personally, I go to sleep with the TV on. So that wouldn't bother me. But like, it does bother her. Where she would be like, can you turn it down? Yada, yada, yada. Well, he would be watching the TV... And it would go off the air. And it would be like this loud snow static static. noise. And it would wake her up. And he would just be sitting there like staring at the TV. And she's like, can you 
like I'm trying to sleep like can you turn this off and he would just like sit there and stare at it like almost in a day yeah you don't think that's weird it is but like that's fucking weird that's like aliens are talking to you and maybe like poltergeist is coming they're all gonna get you maybe I don't know I just felt like maybe he liked the like the white noise of it I don't know there's one thing of liking it but like to be entranced by it and just be sitting up in a dark fucking room with the snow going because remember that scary movie called white noise and it was actually like entities in the white noise that fucking freaks me out but he would never get up and turn it off like she would be the one that would have to get up and turn it off so to me I guess that's the part I take away more than like this is so our personalities of like have a little more like respect for her sleep and time and all of that because now she has to be the one to get out of bed to go turn this shit off because you just are sitting there staring at whereas Donna goes straight to poltergeist aliens talking through the tv Now, this story was one that was like, are you fucking kidding me? One night, Beverly wakes up and she smells some smoke. Not like cigarette smoke? No, not oh. cigarette smoke. Like, something's burning. So, she goes to try to figure out what it is. Of course, goes straight to the kitchen. Now, they had this, like, ragdoll type thing that was on the wall. This doll was on the eye of the stove. Basically, was just now catching fire. Like, it was kind of smoldering almost. Yeah. And was, like, either right at catching fire or, like, about to catch fire. So she takes off the stove, like rinses off, gets everything like back in check so that the fucking house doesn't burn down. And she's like, what the fuck? Like, who did this? Like, what? Where are the kids? Yeah. Because it's the middle of the night, right? Well, the kids are all asleep. It ain't them. It's fucking Reginald. And she's like, what the fuck? What is this? You almost, you could have burned the house down. Like, you could have killed us all and burned this house down. And like, it's nothing. He doesn't even respond. Weird. So it wasn't long after that that Reginald gets a little more bizarre with some stuffed animals. What? Nyarkos had this stuffed dog that was like his baby. So one day, Beverly walks into the living room and she sees that stuffed dog hanging from the chandelier. What? Well, at first she's like, what the fuck are these kids doing? Yeah. Like, get this fucking dog. But then she gets a little closer and she realizes that this dog is hanging from the chandelier from a noose. Oh my god. And then there's like a hole in the heart. What? Like where the heart would yeah. be is like cut out basically. And this really scared her because Reginald really believed in voodoo. So of course she's like, what the fuck? And like takes it down because could you imagine Nyarko's finding that? No. Even if the kids would be like, the hell? But that poor baby would be like my dog, you know? I know. See, Toy Story hadn't come out yet. Right. One afternoon... After this potential voodoo doll business, Beverly hears Reginald in their bedroom and he's chanting, but she can't figure out what he's saying. Like, is he speaking in tongues? Is it a different language? Beverly had no idea. She couldn't understand him. So at this point, she's like, something's got to give. Like, what the fuck is going on here? And so she actually calls the police because he wouldn't let her in the room. She didn't know what he was doing in there. She just found a potential voodoo doll not too long ago. Like, what is going on? She, of course, wants to make sure the kids are safe. So she sends them off to their room, calls the police to come help sort this situation out. And basically, they get there and they're like, what do you want us to do? You know? Right, yeah. Like, they on the bedroom door and was like hey it's police can you let me in and he does and they chat for a little while of course he does right well they talk to him and they're literally like there's nothing we can do like call us if he tries to hurt himself on the flip side 
I do understand from the police's perspective yeah. is he's done nothing. He's not hurt himself. He's not hurt anybody. He's not threatened to do any of that. There is nothing they can do. Yeah. But to back to poor Beverly, though, she's like, I'm at my wits end. Like, there's all these little things that are happening. And these are snippets. I giggle every time I say that because y'all swear I say it wrong. But it's these little pieces of their story that we're getting that you know that there has to be so much more Mm -hmm. to it, like you said, is leading to the conditioning for the responses that these family members are having. Well, after the police leave, like a time later, not like that day, his paranoia is getting worse and worse. And Reginald thinks that people are listening to him through the phone. Like, he even breaks one of the phones because he's like, well, now they can't listen to us. Whoa. And she's like, who are you talking about? Like, and he's like, you know who? No, I really don't. So Beverly tried. She tried to call a psychiatrist to see, like, I I need help because the police didn't help. And the psychiatrists were basically like, there's nothing we can do if he won't come in. Right. Yeah. And if he doesn't go in, because again, he's not hurting anybody or himself. He just ain't leaving the house. Yeah. One of the last straws for Beverly, though, was one night she got woken up by this commotion. And she figured out it was coming from Reginald Jr.'s room. And when she got in there, Jr. and Sr. were fighting. Like, in a brawl fight. Like, wrestling, basically. Yeah. And she's like, what the fuck is going on? She breaks him up and is like, what the fuck is going on? And Reginald Sr. is like, he knows what he did. Reginald Jr. is like, I don't know what he's talking about, Mom. And then, so, of course, Sr. is, like, trying to gaslight her into Mm -hmm. being like, oh, now you're taking sides with him. But she's having none of that. She's like, you go to your room, you go to your room. And she comes to Reginald Sr. and she's like, you ever touch my son again and I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Like, keep your fucking hands off my child. This is it. Yeah. But Reginald Sr. must have thought she was playing because one day he's at the table with Vaughn while Vaughn's doing some homework. Reginald says something to Vaughn. Vaughn says something back to Reginald. And it was either just in a a tone he didn't like or what he said he didn't like. Either way, Reginald like rears back and hits Vaughn. What the fuck? So Vaughn, of course, like jumps up to, well, not of course, because that doesn't always happen, but Obviously, there's some shit going down in this family. Mm -hmm. So, Vaughn kind of jumps up, and Beverly jumps in the middle of them to stop them from fighting. Because at this point, the boys are teenagers. They're like 17, 15, and then uh, Nearcos is like 11. Yeah. So, Beverly jumps in the middle because she's trying to keep the peace. And I don't know if it was by accident or on purpose, but Reginald ends up hitting Beverly. And that's the first time that there's been any domestic violence between those two. Yeah. That we know of, obviously. But I'm pretty sure that was the first time. Reginald Jr. and Vaughn lose it when they see their mom get hit. Yeah. Because, again, they're teenagers. They have all this history with their dad built up. And they jump on him. They eventually get Reginald Sr. off Beverly. And Reginald Sr. loses it. And he tells the kids that they're dead meat. Which, while it's serious, is the most 80s thing he could possibly say. Yes. So at this point, Beverly is like, fuck, I want a divorce. She's like, here's some money. Get the fuck out. Yeah. Because like he, I mean, where, like, where was he going to go? He had no money. He had, you know. Yeah. And he was like, no, he wouldn't leave. Fuck. Like, because all of this, she didn't, I mean, he's volatile. Like, she did not know what was going to happen between him and the kids. So she told the kids, do not come home if I'm not home. You get out of school, 
find some shit to do until I get off work and you don't go into that house with him without me there. So Beverly eventually files for divorce. Reginald is served with the papers. But he didn't really react after he got the papers. So she's like, okay, this is good. Well, on Saturday, March 6, 1982, Beverly had to go to work. After she got off work, she had some errands to run, but like something just that gut instinct was like, you need to go home. So she gets home just before 4 p.m. and the house was quiet, but like there was also music going. So it's like this weird, like eerie quiet, but also there's music going. Mm-hmm. But then she thought it was weird because they had a dog that didn't meet her at the door. Oh no. So she was like, well, that's weird. So she goes to check on the kids and look, it's a Saturday teenagers they sleep late right but she's like it's, it's like 4 45 like it's before four but like it's late in the day like yeah. get your sleepy heads up like what are y'all <laughs> get doing get your sleepy heads up <laughs> golly okay so she goes to check on the kids in their rooms again she thought they were sleeping because teenagers but then she realized that the unthinkable has happened all three of her boys have been shot <gasps> Niarcos was 11 Vaughn was 15, and Reginald Jr. was 17. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine finding your children dead? There's an interview with her. Spoiler alert. This was on um, Evil Lives Here, Season 4, Episode 5. This is very graphic, so skip forward if you need to. She literally talks about how uncovering, I think it was Nearchos, and seeing his brains. And I just cannot imagine how do you move past that? I don't know. Especially because she was doing stuff and she was like, no, I need to go home. You know, she knew in her gut, she knew something was up. Yeah, She doesn't know where Reginald is and she's terrified. She calls the police and she's like, my husband killed my kids. Like she knew immediately it was him, but she didn't know where he was. So she's like, I'm going to wait outside because I don't know where he is Mm -hmm. and I'm fearful for my life too. So the police start looking for Reginald and Beverly stays at her mom's house. And she said her, basically her brother-in-law, they were so fearful for Beverly's life that her brother-in-law would just sit there with the shotgun on his legs. And like anybody came up, he's the one that answered the door, you know, like they were so fearful of what Reginald would do. But police eventually found Reginald in Utah. Now, this was kind of unclear to me, but from Basically, what I gather, he was getting on a bus, or at this point, I think getting off a bus. Either way, a bus. And he had two baggage claim tickets to get two different bags, but he only got one because he was going to ditch the other one, and Mm. the other one had the gun in it. And I want to say there was, I I don't know, I think there may have been some other um, stuff in there, but basically, it had the gun in it. So, he was arrested, of course, and... Reginald waived his right to a jury trial, which meant that his trial was in front of a three-judge panel. Reginald was found guilty and was sentenced to death in June of 1984. Now, there, of course, a death penalty case, there's tons of appeals. And a lot of the stuff still talks about his mental illness and like he shouldn't be sentenced to the death penalty because he actually was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. For me, there was so much evidence that suggested premeditation. The gun that he had, he had bought like a week before he killed them and like took a cash advance on a credit card to buy the gun and then waited until Beverly had to go to work Mm -hmm. and turned the music up loud to like cover the sounds of the gunshots. Yeah. So for me, he knew what he was doing. 
there was planning involved. This was not just a delusion or a paranoia that caused like a split second decision. He was getting prepared for this. But couldn't you say because of his delusion and his paranoia, that's why he was prepared? I don't think so because, well, Beverly really thinks that it was payback for her filing for divorce mm-hmm. because it happened like right after he got served the papers. Yeah. And so I think it was one of those like, they can't leave me things. And Reginald never says why he killed the boys. Like, he changes his story a couple of times. Like, one time he says that the police did it. One time he says that Beverly did it. And I feel like when you have something like a true delusion happening where they think, like, my kids are going to burn in hell if I don't kill them right now. Or, or like, when you really have that postpartum psychosis. Like, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like they tell the reason. Like, if it's truly part of the delusion or whatever, like... Because they truly believe that. Right. There's a reason. And Reginald didn't have that. He was, like, he wouldn't say, then would, like, change his reasoning and all of this. Like, it was just, I just don't buy it. Yeah. So, Reginald was on death row for almost 30 years. Wow. Before he was finally executed. Wow. Okay. I know that this is, um, has nothing to do with anything, but I really like to know people's last meals. Mm-hmm. You want to know what he had? Mm-hmm. Okay, so he had lasagna, garlic bread, chocolate cake, moose tracks ice cream, caramel candies, beef jerky, cashews, almonds, and root beer. That sounds good besides the lasagna. I don't think many of those would be my last meal. No, that. what would yours be? I definitely a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Not a root beer. I can't stand root beer. But, and then, like, beef jerky, that should be all up in my teeth. I'd probably, like, return as a ghost, like, trying to get the beef jerky out of my teeth. <laughs> Mine would be breakfast for dinner. Like, good pancakes, bacon. I honestly don't know. I don't know that I would be able to eat it. Like, I think I would be too much of a ball of nerves that yeah. I, it, I wouldn't be able to. Well, I eat when I'm nervous, too. So, my stomach would hurt, but I would eat it. Yeah. I honestly don't know that I would be able to. So when Reginald was executed, you know, they always say, like, do you have any final words? Yeah. And he said, nope. And then with both hands, flipped everyone off. What the fuck? And, like, I'm talking held up, flipping everybody off until he physically couldn't anymore because he was dying. Oh, my God. Like, for minutes, just straight, like, fuck off everybody. What the actual fuck? Yeah. I mean, going out in a blaze of glory, I guess, but... But it's like, you blame your psychosis on this, but then you're being like, I don't know. Right. Because you know, in the prison, he's getting his medicine. Yeah. So it's like, this was, I think, which is part of what really shows that I really think Beverly was right. Because she was there and she was wearing, like, her and some of the family had on t-shirts with the kids' pictures on it. And, like, I really think it was that final fuck you to Beverly. Mm -hmm. And it just proves that she was right this whole time. And that it had nothing to do with his mental illness. Yeah. And, you know, really, my only solace, for lack of a better word, is that based on the boys' position, it seems like they were in their sleep. I know that somebody probably woke up from the sounds of the gunshots, but I think at very least it was quick because they were in their beds. Yeah. I did find a couple articles that talked about how Beverly did start dating somebody um, in 1983. They were together for 34 years before he passed away. Gosh. And that the man that she ended up dating after that had three sons as well. That they're all like still a part of her life. But Aww. nobody really knows where she lives. And nobody knew that man's name. And that's how she wants to keep it. But by all accounts, she's, I mean, living the 
the best life that she can, given all that she went through somewhere. Oh my gosh. She, in that episode of Evil Lives Here, was remarkably strong. Like, I don't know how she got through some of the words that she got through and didn't cry. Yeah. I don't want this to sound like hoity-toity like it's probably about to sound, but like when our local news interviewed me about the wedding and my dad dying and having the wedding at the hospice house and all, that was so hard to get through because you have to talk when you want to cry. And that is just about a peaceful death and a wedding. Like, I cannot imagine sitting there and talking as frankly as she did about the death of her children and finding them yeah. and the all the things that she went through with her husband. And then I don't even know, one, where you find the strength to do those interviews, but like two, to keep your composure. Yeah. I mean, she is just beyond amazing. Wow. My heart just breaks for her. I know. And I know I've said this a ton, but it's like, how do you mourn three people like that? I don't know. Three traumatic deaths. I just hope that Beverly is as happy as she can be, given all she's been through. Yeah. God, this is such a hard story because you know he was going through something when his personality was changing. But it's like, it could be a tumor somewhere. Or, you know, like, get medical help. Do this, do that. But you can't make someone do anything. Right. And if you think about it, though, the symptoms for schizophrenia really start happening in that late teen, early Mm -hmm. 20s. And, you know, they were about that age when they got married and started having kids. And so, you know, I mean, it's I think that the onset's pretty standard for, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I I don't think it would be something like that. But I get what you're saying. Like, you know, something's going on. You don't want to just like leave someone if you love them you know you want to try to help but then it's like if they're not helping themselves yeah and so it's just what do you do oh my gosh that's a rock in a hard place Mm -hmm. I was watching one YouTube video about this story and a lot of the comments on it made me so mad because they were like Beverly's partly culpable in this not not maybe the culpable is not the right word but like partly to blame and I'm like no no she's not that's like saying that someone who has been abused is partly to blame and it's like for whatever the outcome is like let's say in the domestic violence something happened to the kids and it's like you can't say that because there had to be some conditioning if you know when you're living this day in and day out you don't understand what she went through we don't understand I'm not even pretending to understand I at least can appreciate the fact that I don't understand Mm -hmm. what she's going through day in and day out with his mental illness and it's like you don't know what you would do in that situation and she just was trying to keep her family together yeah and she is not to blame for anything especially somebody else's actions right Yeah. I know I say this all the time, but you are never to blame for somebody else's actions. They are their own person. Yes. I mean, victim blaming is never okay. But with that kind of stuff, I'm like, God, you must live a charmed life then Mm -hmm. to not even have one iota of knowing how that would feel. And, you know, well, you know how I said my story was like anxiety inducing? Mm -hmm. No, yours was. Because I, I didn't know where it was going. Your face, whenever I was talking about the poisoning thing, it was almost like you really had no idea if she was poisoning him or not. Yeah, because I'm like, well, is she tired of this? And she's like, fuck this. Yeah. Well, you have been doing a lot on the Lady Killers on Patreon, and it's right. always fucking poison. <laughs> right. Well, because a lot of them are from like 1800s. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, well, you know. Right. So I just didn't know, like, okay, but... 
to force her to eat it and stuff. God, like, I don't know. That just breaks my heart. And you know she had to be scared of him to do this stuff, too. Right. You know? Well, yes. And because I think that, of course, based on what she said on Evil Lives Here, too, is that the first time that she was physically abused was when, from the description, may have been an accident. Either way, it doesn't matter. She still was hit. And I think that was the first time of physical abuse. But again, there's conditioning happening. Yes. And we've talked a lot about, too, like, okay, somebody has a mental illness because we have mental illness. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, absolutely am understanding that. But like, at what point do they have to be responsible for the fact that he, it, what, he wasn't seeking treatment? He wasn't taking care of himself. You know, just like we talked about some of these killers that have gotten basically away with murder because they've gone to a mental institution and then after a few years are let out because they just weren't taking their medicine at that time or whatever. And it's like, okay... But how do you know they're going to do it again? Because mm-hmm. at some point, they have to be responsible for the fact that they aren't handling their mental illness. But on the flip side, I understand mental illness. And I understand that the medications that work on things like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and all of that have a shit ton of side effects, mm-hmm. including tardive dyskinesia. And those are really hard symptoms that can be permanent, that cause additional issues in their life and your medicine starts making you feel better you feel like damn I'm better I don't need this medicine anymore mm-hmm. but it's the medicine make you know so like I understand the revolving door of mental illness yeah I get it I have mental illness I have anxiety and depression and all of that like I get it take my medicine every day and if you don't you call me and I come bring it to you at lunch yes but it's even to the point now with my effects are if I sleep too late it affects me the whole day like if I sleep too late and I don't take it before it used to be nine now it's damn eight thirty. I will be first in like rage like I will be everything will piss me off and then every and then like two hours later everything will make me cry like yeah. I have to take my medicine or it has a, a negative effect that kind of keeps me on track with my medicine but again I understand stuff like with bipolar disorder and all that you feel better and you're like okay I don't need my medicine anymore Mm-hmm. But those are not medications that you can just stop. Those right. ha- that has consequences. You have to be weaned off those types of medicines. Yeah, it's so fucking hard. But not anyone's fault but Reginald's. Well, y'all let us know what y'all think about both of these stories. And I don't know. And take it some good deep cleansing breaths or something. Because these stories had our anxiety up. They really did. I want chocolate now. <laughs> Whatever your uh, medicine of choice is. Uh, <laughs> I'll stick with my abuse bar. <laughs> Just kidding. It's because we finished the chocolate after dinner here. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and all the things. And remember, creep it real and don't, don't get, get scared. scared.